Well, there's plenty to keep the Attorney General busy. Everything from all the stuff going on uh, with the transgender nonsense, abortions, uh, crime in the state of Alabama, uh, and even what's going on with Space Command in Huntsville. We're going to bring Attorney General Steve Marshall on to talk about what he's doing uh, in those areas and what he's doing to protect our state's sovereignty. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this here podcast, where we are pursuing a free and flourishing Alabama every single week. We have an incredible episode for you guys today. I have the privilege of interviewing the Attorney General of Alabama, Steve Marshall. Uh, he's coming on. We're going to be talking about transgender issues, abortion, space command. And in our after hours segment, we're going to be talking about crime uh, in Alabama that is kind of rampant. But as I talk about um, Steve Marshall, it's very there's there's a lot of overlap in some of the things that we're focused on. And um, as I go around the state talking about 1890 news, I make a a metaphor uh, or a one-to-one when you see uh, the movie 300 and you have King Leonidas and he's the only thing, him and his 300 men are the only thing standing in the way of, of Xerxes and the, the Persian army with all of its uh, slaves who are enticed through their lusts and getting paid off and all this other stuff. And it, it's very evil. And to me, as I picture uh, Xerxes, it looks like Marxism, communism, trying to come into the, the free land of Greece and the only thing standing in the way was King Leonidas and his 300 soldiers. And I often say that the only thing standing in the way of communism in Alabama is 1819 News. Well, that's it's true, but I would say that Steve Marshall is playing that same role on the side of the government trying to keep that stuff out of our state. So we'll be talking about those issues, but before we do, want to say Alabama needs 1819 News and 1819 News needs you. You guys, please sign up to become a member. Memberships start as little as $5 a month. With that, you get access to behind-the-scenes content like our after hours that we're going to be recording today. Cool merch, hats, cups, all of that. It seems insignificant, though, to the privilege of being able to support independent journalism that's working on your behalf. That's what you're really paying for. You get a cup and a T-shirt. That's awesome. But at the end of the day, you guys are waking up, getting a newsletter, with news that's telling the truth, and that has value. So please go sign up, become a member today. Go to the website, 1819news.com, click the button, uh, and there you go. So without any further ado, we're going to uh, roll into the content now. So Attorney General Steve Marshall, thank you so much for coming in. Hey, good to be back. Yes, glad to have you. This I think this is the first time you and I have ever just sat down, I think. Without interruption with, Yeah, from without the interruption from the ladies, yeah. that's correct. We mean that in the most kind and respectful <laughs> way. <laughs> Uh, right. possible. So there's no shortage of things to keep you busy. Obviously. Um, I find that kind of the case with, with what we do is, you know, there's, there's so much to cover so many things to tell. We have to kind of prioritize and figure out, okay, where, where, where do we need to focus to, you know, expose, uh, inform, investigate or whatever. Um, I imagine that's kind of the same thing for you. So, um, what are some of the, some of the issues that, that, that I kind of see you, um, in the headlines, uh, at least in 1890 news and the, the, the good headlines, um, is kind of transgender, uh, abortion, uh, space command has been a hot topic and then obviously crime. So what is, what is the latest in, and, and I want to say this, this is, I was supposed to speak at the library meeting this morning, the, uh, the Alabama public well, I don't even know what all the acronyms are anymore. Yeah. I can't even keep up with the LGBTs and the CRTs. Now we got APLS and I'm just like, I can't do it. 
Anyway, the Alabama Public Library Board, I applied to be one of the speakers, and for some reason they denied me. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm still getting over it. But um, one of the things that I wanted to say, though, is that, you know, when when Obergefell happened, I guess it's been seven or eight years now. I know right. it's been a while. I saw a lot of this stuff. I knew for sure that uh, adoption agencies were going to get harassed. I knew that churches were potentially going to get harassed. I knew that cake bakers and things like this were going to start to get harassed because of this. Um, I knew that pedophiles and uh, polygamists were going to try and ride their coattails uh, into the kind of that legal victory, if you will, that they were going to kind of fall in line. There's a lot of things that you could see were probably going to happen that have, but I never, never, ever, ever did I imagine that we would be mutilating children's genitals, like in this weird mental health crisis that we're going through, right? Like that, or letting, you know, grown men get naked in front of girls in locker rooms and stuff. So I, I never saw that, right? And the, the level of depravity, I think, in which we've reached is, is, is mind-boggling. And I know for a lot of us, it's, it's hard to wrap our mind around that, that's going on. And then you have the, the, the privilege or problem or however you want to classify it of, of how do you use your means to be able to defend us against this stuff? So what, what's going on? What's the latest there? Yeah, you know, it's a lot's changed since the last time I was here. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about this before, about, number one, that Alabama passed a law several years ago. And by the way, shout out to our Secretary of State, Wes Allen, who, when he was in the legislature, led this charge because, yeah. you know, this was not a law that people looked at and thought, Gosh, why does this really matter? Yeah, clearly we did not have any clue about UAB's role, yeah. and particularly some of the physicians that are there, and having some kind of national influence on what's going on. But Alabama passed a law that basically said we're going to protect our kids, that we're going to acknowledge the failed European experiment, that we're going to admit that the FDA has not approved the use of the medication that's part of, and I'll use their term, gender affirming care. Uh, and it has a right to be able to say this is protecting kids from the consequences down the road. And I, yeah. look, we don't have time for me to tell you all of the individuals I've talked to that have shared the stories of the medical problems they have, the emotional problems they have as a result of venturing into this world and finally realizing this is not what it's about. This is not what I want to do. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, when our law was challenged. Um, by multiple plaintiffs, but also the Department of Justice weighing in, which I think is significant, by the way. Yeah. Uh, why Alabama? You know, one day they'll have to answer that question. They yeah. can't right now. Um, is that we we lost the initial level for the inter uh, the injunction being granted, but that was kind of the trend at that point in time. Yeah. Multiple states similarly situated with with very similar laws uh, were not winning these, so that they were being enjoined, but. One of the things that we did is to say this is important for us as a state. And so I have the ability to sort of target what our resources are used for, how it is that we are assisting our sister states around the country that likewise care about this issue. And basically I said Alabama is going to lead. And so while we, we weighed in with Arkansas, we weighed in with Florida, still we're not getting the results at the district court yeah. level that we need. And frankly – it was just the remarkable breath of fresh air with the Sixth Circuit not that long ago, uh, I guess probably now going two months, where they, for the first time, upheld uh, Tennessee's law. And Alabama weighed in with an amicus to lead the state, which led to the cascading effect of Kentucky's law being uh, likewise uh, prevailing. And then, man, got a remarkable decision out of the 11th Circuit just in the last month that said, the injunction granted in Alabama was wrongfully entered, 
And in fact, the state has an absolute legitimate interest in wanting to be able to protect kids. Now, it's not a total victory. We still have the the requirement to be able to defend it uh, in, in April, but it sure set the legal standard for us. And now Georgia's law has been upheld. We have Florida, likewise, in a similar situation. So we're now seeing the momentum switch in a yeah. profound way. And look, I'm proud of that. We got a great team working uh, on this issue. We have support from uh, outside groups that likewise care in the sense of being able to be very vocal about what is going on around the country. And I really do think the narrative, when folks begin to hear, what are we doing to our kids? Mm -hmm. And and how does this impact them? And isn't there other options to be able to treat gender dysphoria separate and apart from a girl putting a testosterone shot into her leg once a week, as I had described to me for uh, many times, and she's now 20 years old, you know, with facial hair because of what went on as a result of that. Um, and really proud of the fact that our team is advancing arguments that are now being accepted. But I think this is a critically important issue. And and look, don't think for a second that this is also not a very valid response to the gender ideology agenda of the Biden administration. You you talked about, obviously, a significant Supreme Court case that's impacted a lot yeah. of religious liberty issues. But, you know, the Bostock decision, and I don't mean to get too nerdy, but this was the employment case in which they recognized protection under the employment discrimination laws for somebody who was transgender. That basically weaponized the Biden administration to be able to come in come January 2021 and make this basically an agency mandate mm. so that, you know, we're fighting. And you heard me talk about this actually a little bit the other day. Yeah. The Department of Agriculture on a school yeah. lunch program because they want to change the definition of what sex means to broaden it. They want to be able to use funding coming from D.C. to radically change how we consider girls sports and boys sports. They want to be able to make the bathroom and the locker room issue first and foremost on the minds of many when Alabama's already spoken to that question. And so – it's why these victories are important for us. I mean, you've heard me talk about defending Alabama sovereignty, which is, by the way, a unique privilege. Yeah. Because I think that's what our founders designed us for. Yeah. And and the fact that we can use our office as a vehicle to be able to do that is critically important. But when we see that the federal government, through multiple uh, rulemaking uh, authority and the use of um, their spending authority, try to dictate to Alabama what we do— there's got to be a wake-up call to that. And by yeah. the way, I don't think we've gotten there yet. Mm. I really don't because it's almost – when you talk to the bureaucracy, they just want to know, I don't want to lose my money. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to have to turn that away. But there's this failure to recognize that it comes with strings. Yeah. And particularly when you have an administration like we have right now, they get it. Yeah. They understand that that's their leverage because yeah. they can't do it through Congress. Their only other vehicle to be able to do that is through this area. And then when you have a Department of Justice becoming your bulldog to try to sort of push back against states and and clearly coming into where we are right now is one of the ways of doing that, it's important for us to be able to to, to be able to win these fights. Now, we've seen recently, and again, people don't sort of register the fact that the the plaintiffs have now filed for en banc review at the 11th Circuit so that they weren't dissatisfied with the, the three-judge panel that, that ruled. They want the entire court to weigh in on this. And that's fairly routine, but what people don't, swear we don't appreciate, it's a way for them to run out the clock because 
the relief that we obtained, which was reversing the injunction granted by Judge Burke, can't go into play until what we refer to as the mandate from the court is issued. They can't issue the mandate until all of the appellate time is run. By filing for en banc review, they prolong the opportunity for that mandate to issue. And we have trial coming up in April, so if they can push this farther along, then we didn't receive a paper tiger basically as a victory because one of the things that the court did was establish that you know, the level of review for the court is something we call a rational basis to the lowest level that the state has to be able to satisfy. That in and of itself is critically important in this case. But yet we think it's also critically important to be able to get that injunction uh, removed so that we can begin protecting Alabama kids again. And and that's something that, that I don't think people should lose sight of. And so where are we? And so uh, just from a, a not lawyer, um, so you said two months ago there was a good ruling, and then most recently about a month ago. What did those two things do for us and the ability to and, – and, and how much of this relates to the VCAP bill? Is that what this is Yeah, it's is directly all? related to the VCAP okay. bill. And, and the victory in the 11th Circuit was on Alabama's law. Okay. The victory in the 6th Circuit was really what was the first sort of point for us to get the right analysis in play, yeah. uh, was dealing with a very similar version of the law that Tennessee adopted. Um, but, you know, the, the responsibility for the state and what we continue to work on in the litigation is to be able to, in sort of the crucible of trial, where you have the opportunity to challenge evidence and to be able to cross-examine witnesses, yeah. to be able to not only expose the, the true fallacy, the fiction uh, of, of what is being propounded by WPATH and all these national organizations that have bought into the to this so-called standard of care, but it's also to be able to legitimately show why Alabama has a, a concern for its kids and why this law is, is valid. You know, it's not the responsibility of the federal courts to define the public policy of our state. You know, yeah. we go back to Dobbs. Really, Dobbs was about returning to the state's health care decisions, yeah. whether it be around the issue of abortion or whether it be how it is that we deal with uh, gender dysphoria. And that's a legitimate state function to be able to weigh in. We're prepared and fully able to defend what the legislature did. And, uh, you know, this is one I don't always engage directly at the trial level. Uh, did recently in a criminal case in Ozark, which uh, I appreciated being sort of getting back to my roots. Yeah. But I'm going to be with our team on this one because it's that important issue, I believe. Okay. Wow. Man, there's so many questions I want to ask, and I want to make sure that we get to everything else that we need to talk uh, about. And so where are we now? So are so where is the uh, official, I guess, line drawn? What are you able to prosecute? What are we able to prevent as far as the transgender stuff? And, and I guess I'll ask it another way. Um, I know that, the, the, like, the full-blown gender transitioning surgeries with, like, removal of organs and things like that, that's ne never been allowed. That's never been enjoyed. And so yeah. now we're talking about like hormonal treatments and things like that. Where are we there right now? So right now the injunction's still in place. Although we won with a three-judge panel, until that mandate is issued, then the district court won't act to, to change its order. So they're and still so able to right now. They're still able to right now. Okay. And it's why, again, look, they have a right to request en banc relief. Yeah. It's unusual to be granted. It's not always the norm to be requested. But the strategic play for them is, again, to kind of run out the clock by 
now putting something else before the 11th Circuit to decide. And then they'd have the right to, to, to take that also to the United States Supreme Court. And so until those are exhausted, then we don't have the ability to get the relief that the 11th Circuit panel believed that we were entitled to. Um, but we're going to you know, push that uh, as much as we can. But what we're also going to be doing is be laser-focused on prepping for that trial in April. Okay. Because that's the ultimate question is, does the judge accept based upon uh, the review that the 11th Circuit has decided, which will be the case unless changed, uh, that Alabama has a rational basis to be able to do this? And I think it's abundantly clear that we do. And I think you know, the other thing that when courts evaluate whether an injunction should be granted – there has to be kind of an initial finding based on what the courts received of the likelihood of the plaintiffs to prevail on the merits. Okay. And what I do believe can be read from the 11th Circuit opinion is they do not believe, based on that level of the review, that, uh, that the plaintiffs are going to win. And, okay. and I firmly believe that. Awesome. Well, good news. I wish there was a way to do it speedier, but that's the the – there's almost like a, you know, we see weaponization of three-lettered agencies. I had Barry Moore on recently to talk about the weaponization of three-lettered agencies. Talking has been hard for me today, so you'll have to bear with me. <laughs> um, weaponization of three-lettered agencies. Uh, Matt Clark wrote a, when he was the, the head of the Alabama Center for Law and Liberty, wrote a phenomenal um, column for us where he talked about the, 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 the process is the punishment. And of basically, it's almost like weaponizing the legal system. And, and, and you basically, there, there's no good faith in the efforts. It's literally like you're saying, they're literally just buying time so they can continue to do the thing they know they're not supposed to do by filing all these other things just to kick the can down the road. So they, anyway, um, it's but, hard, you know, but, to, but, hard but, to watch from my yeah, but vantage you, point. And, and I'll tell you, if you look at the strategy of the left during the Trump administration, you know, their efforts there were to simply delay. Yeah. And why, you know, this, and again, this is probably in the weeds, longer discussion, yeah. but the ability to get a nationwide injunction from a judge in California or New York or the D.C. Circuit was a way of stopping many of the remarkable regulatory changes that we saw coming during the Trump period. And this is kind of a very similar idea, particularly in our transgender case, is if we can delay the inevitable, then we can continue to do the things that we've been doing. Yep. Well, uh, I'm just glad you guys are on top of it uh, and and move, moving that along. Can, um, I, can I share something real quick? Just sure. Y'all you know, ran a story um, talking about you know our employing of outside lawyers to be able to assist in this case, and we have, and, yeah. you know, and, and good folks. And, and I saw uh, somebody responded to a criticism of that, and it was simply it said money well spent, yeah. and and to the extent that we're Looking at the use of the resources of the state of Alabama, defending our kids, that's money well spent. I like it when the government spends money well. That's <laughs> rare, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll you. take that one. I hear you. So um, moving on, kind of next subject. Um, I think, I mean, we could probably sit here and talk the transgender stuff all day, but I want to kind of rapid fire through it. Um, abortion. So we know, um, as, you, as you discussed, Dobbs, uh, Roe versus Wade gets overturned. We now have some of the strongest pro-life legislation in the country. Praise God. I joke about how we got it was kind of interesting. We, you know, a bunch of states got together through Hail Marys. Now, all of a sudden, our state has to enforce it. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, we need to add exceptions, whatever, whatever. But no matter, you know, however, whatever, we have strong pro-life legislation on the books. It's uh, It makes it, you know, it's to the point where the abortion mills are shut down. So praise God. Um, but I, I assume the problem is now is that, you know, I had, uh, the guys from, 
wow, my, my brain not working. I want to say save the storks, but it's not. It's a life on wheels, life on wheels. Um, Dr. Matt Phillips and Ed Gannon came in uh, and they said, now the crisis isn't at the, the abortion mills, you know, where that was kind of like the cradle of death. Now it's the mailbox, right? Because these mm-hmm. pills are coming through the mailbox. And so talk about that or anything else kind of in that ab- abortion realm. You know, it's, it's interesting to see kind of the, the multiple tangents connected to the issue that we're involved with. Now, you know, number one, uh, I guess I can uh, thank Jeff Poor for being tweeted at by both Gavin Newsom and Hillary Clinton in the same week or seven, seven day period, yeah. you know, because right now uh, we have two pieces of litigation filed against me based on a comment I made a couple of days after Dobbs was issued. Uh, gosh, this is what, 16 months ago, Yeah, you know, where I talked about Alabama's conspiracy statute and it talks very specifically about the conspiracy occurring in Alabama for conduct that ends up taking place outside of Alabama yeah. is still actionable criminally. I mean, yeah. that's been a principle of law for us. I think it goes back hundred plus years Yeah, and the left clearly doesn't like the fact yeah. that, that it could be potentially used relating to that abortion statute. I think it definitely applies and, you know, we'll litigate that, but uh, it's interesting that that's only become a hot button issue for them a year plus after we said it. And yeah. I think it's, them trying to to fundraise, frankly. But anyway, another story for another yeah. day. Um, but you know, definitely, we see that, that if they can't perform the abortion in the state, what is the way somehow or another to accomplish their goal? And you know, you use the mailbox as the example. And so, what we saw was the Biden administration through the FDA, going back to some of those three letter agencies you described earlier, completely changing their tune on what was the safe administration of the abortion pill. You know, previously they were very clear about the health dangers to a woman. We've seen examples of that in Alabama, why it needs to be administered through and with uh, and follow up with uh, an appropriate physician. Um, But yet they retracted and pulled back from where they had been historically for a long time to make it easier for this medication to be dispensed. And so, you know, AG's banding together, Alabama part of the leading on that front to be able to say it was an inappropriate rulemaking. We were able to weigh in about why it was that it was endangering the the health of women in our state and around our country. And so, you know, not directly related to what Dobbs said, but clearly in response to the left because of where Alabama's law, and it's abundantly clear where we stand, you know, that it simply cannot be performed except for those limited exceptions that are defined in the statute itself. And so, uh, you know, that's an ongoing fight, and you know, we're going to continue to be involved in that. Uh, but the reality is that we have to make sure that, you know, what we do in the state is continue to talk about our pregnancy centers that are out there because they're under attack, you know, yeah. being described completely incorrectly and knowing the services that um, th- that they do. We need to lift them up and the services they provide to women who desperately need it. Uh, and then we need to make sure that, that we're also tangibly discussing what Alabama's interest is in protecting the unborn. Yeah. You know, you talk about it all the time on this show, but it gets lost in this discussion nationally about describing abortion as health care. Yeah. You know, and, and uniquely, what do we see? Tommy Tuberville in the middle of it in yeah. D.C. continuing to fight the fight, which, by the way, has never been an issue before. Yeah. And suddenly is. And you look at the Hyde Amendment and what it said for a significant period of time. Joe Biden wants to hide from the fact that he was one of the ones that supported that effort. Yeah. And it was only during uh, his campaign for president that was floundering 
Did he show up in Georgia and say suddenly that's the wrong way to be able to approach it? Yeah. But yet it's always been there. They said, we're not going to use federal money to be able to pay for abortions. Yeah. And Tommy's holding their feet to the fire about that. And so, you know, I'm pleased that on multiple fronts, Alabama is standing strong on that issue because, I mean, what better uh, uh, sort of choice for lending our voice than that uh, of the unborn? Yeah. No, um, I think it's uh, it's one of, one of the things when I started 1819 that I became flustered with, first of all, was just trying to fix D.C. So I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to work. Good we luck, to, yeah. We, yeah, we need to aim a little bit closer, yeah. <laughs> closer to home. Yeah. And so really just the the local piece of it. Um, but um, it didn't seem like there was a lot of Alabama values being represented in in offices. And you were one of the first things I said when I very first met you. We were like a, a candidate fair with Tumker or something. I said, you're one of the, the only statewide officials that's actually representing our state. Right. right. And you know what? Can I, yeah. you said the word local. Yeah. And I think that gets lost in our thought process because sometimes, you know, we look to DC for solutions or we look to yeah. Montgomery for solutions when we don't have to look far in Virginia with the school boards, our classic example, right? Is mm -hmm. that if there's anything about COVID, it exposed to us for the first time, maybe as parents, what's going on in the school system or decisions that were being made. Yeah. And I think, for example, right now, the discussions around library boards yeah. is, you know, most of the folks that are sitting, I think all of them that are sitting on those boards are local people appointed by local officials. And, and maybe that's just kind of the next sort of revelation for, for many people is kind of what they're now seeing that are in libraries and what's going on around our state. And the unique thing that I think we have the ability to advocate for is that we are staffing and we are engaging at the local level with people who are making those decisions that reflect the values of the community. Yep. And so I do think that while we can have a discussion about what's going on in Montgomery about that or what's yeah. going on in D.C., man, we don't ever need to lose sight about what's going on in our local communities because so many decisions are being made at that level or – in some respects, we have boards that are deferring to others to make decisions for which they don't know for whom they are affiliating yeah. and those that are setting the standards that engaging, having those conversations is critically important. Yeah. And, and again, a point to Virginia is the example. They told the country what can happen when local people gather together to be engaged in what's going on, yeah. partly, similar to what 1819 does, shines a light yeah. on it in a way that we hadn't seen it before and allows for a discussion to take place. But also, but also to allow conservative voices to be engaged in the decision-making, yeah. not just in after the fact trying to be able to deal with it. Yeah, I'm sorry, I took us a no, totally different direction. No, and that's good. I was actually going to see if you wanted to talk about the library stuff, so I'm glad you did. Um, and... Um, but, but that, that really is. And that was the, the, you know, when I first stepped into the, the Alabama politics, I saw a lot of things happening that did not reflect the people, the culture, like, you know, I, I wrote an article that's coming out in our next magazine. The, the culture here is thick. Like I moved here from Colorado nine years ago and, and the culture in Colorado is not as thick. And what I mean by that is like, you come in Alabama and you know, you're here, right? Mm -hmm. You walk into, um, hog rock barbecue in Wetumpka. They got the 10 commandments on the wall, right? Right. When you walk in, um, the, there's something about the, the way families stick together. Um, you know, and I don't know there's the, it, it's a, it's a distinct culture. And I think there's beauty in distinctness and I could rattle on all the different things, but, um, as far as families and like what last names mean and all this stuff, 
It's not like that out in the Midwest. And so there's a, a, a distinctness uh, to Alabama. But then you looked at what was happening in the political sphere and it did not reflect that distinctness. Right. Yeah. And can I share this? You, yeah. you and I were at an event the other day in Birmingham when I was leaving, I was walking to, to the vehicle and this woman said, Hey, Steve Marshall and turned around, and looked, those are not always easy calls by the way. Right. Yeah. You know, people want to share with you their stories, but, um, I walked over to her and she goes, can I stop my car and pray for you? Wow. And literally pulled her car over, grabbed my hand and just lifted me up in prayer. That's not going to happen in many places in Colorado. Yeah. It's not going to be many places in the country, but it is unique in what makes yeah. Alabamian special yeah. is the fact that this woman who I've never met, never met before was willing to take a moment to be able to say from a leadership perspective, I want to protect him. Yeah. But also I want to grant discernment to him yeah. in the decisions that he's making. And it's those moments that really sort of make me realize number one, what a special opportunity I'm given. Yeah. To be uniquely in a position to to influence and be involved. But also that I'm not alone. Yeah. And that's also a pretty doggone cool feeling when you stand for things that do upset a Gavin Newsom and a Hillary Clinton yeah. and a Washington Post, whatever it may be. But yet, when you look to the people that, number one, elected me yeah. and look to me for leadership, when they're willing to be able to stand up in that way and in that visibly, man, it's 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 something that says, let's get after it tomorrow, right? Yeah. My podcast would tell, and this goes right to the conversation we're having. So for the longest, I didn't see the stuff reflected. And then all of a sudden people started doing it. And, and I, and I'd like to see it at the more local levels, but Tommy Tuberville makes a stand that he does. And that is an Alabama stand for things mm -hmm. that people in Alabama care about. Like that is a very inline stand that he made. And so I asked him the very first question I asked him when I went on the podcast last week and it publishes uh, today, um, is, uh, what did it feel like when you walked into that Trump rally to speak and there's three or 4,000 people in that building, like, you know, standing room only in this massive building stuffed as many people in like sardines mm -hmm. as you could. And he got a two minute standing ovation before he said a single word. That to me is worth more than a lobbyist check. That to me is worth <laughs> more than all these other things. And so, um, I feel like, you know, just by the grace of God, He's giving it like we're breaking a lot of these barriers and, uh, you know, um, you can go into all the reasons why legislators don't and, and, and public officials don't do the things uh, that they know they should and they know their people want to. But I think by the grace of God, we're starting to to, to see some momentum. Um, and I think you played a part in that. I think 1819's played a part in that. Um, and it's and it is it's it's neat to watch. We need to be that laboratory of democracy. Yep. We need to allow Alabama to be Alabama. Yep. And while. You know, D.C. can have its own uh, approach to the world. It doesn't mean that has to be Alabama's approach. And I think that's, again, we have a supermajority in our legislature. We have conservative elected officials across the state. There should be the expectation that we govern in that way. Behave that way. That's correct. I want to, I threatened to publish Catherine's, uh, Catherine Robertson. She works My chief here. counsel. Yeah. yeah amazing. She, amazing. She wrote the uh, Selling Our Sovereignty piece when she was at the Alabama Policy mm -hmm. Institute. So maybe I need to get with Stephanie and go back and grab that and threaten to do it and it always gets lost. But I think that is some um, a way of thinking about things. And it goes back to that picture that I talked about with Xerxes and King Leonidas. And that was the whole thing. He would come in and just be like, hey, you don't have to change anything. You just have to pay homage to mm -hmm. me. Or 
you know, you just do this one little thing over here, and then and then next, you know, they've got their they've got they've got their hand around your throat. And well, that's think, what's I mean, think about the, the story strings. of Daniel, right? Yeah. I mean, just I want you to worship this guy. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to eat your food. Yeah. I'm not going to adopt your culture, and ultimately through the courage as a result of that, the consequence was throwing the lines in and prevailed. Yep. There's, yeah. a, there's a lesson there. And man, what happens when you do it? Like you said, you're not alone, right? We've, you know, because of the the left lean of so much media, we feel like we're a, a minority where we're actually the majority. Phil Williams always says there's more of us than there is of, uh, of them, but we don't feel that way. And we feel, you know, like, well, if I say this, the, the, the SPLC or the ACLU or the whatever mobs going to show up with their pitchforks, it's like, no, make a stand and watch the people rally behind you. We know what's, what's interesting is, you know, the work we've been doing around ESG. Yeah. And I won't name the company, but it was a company <laughs> that, that issued some kind of policy that was frankly very inconsistent with what I knew about their leadership or whatever. Yeah. And it was, and I questioned it. Yeah. And I was like, well, why'd you do it? And they were telling me the story about how, a leftist group was basically blackmailing them by saying, you know, if you don't do this, we're going to expose this anyway. Yeah. So they go, okay, we'll, we'll capitulate to that thinking that somehow or another that would be appeasement, but no, all it did was lead to what the next demand was or the next demand. And so when we sort of look at this idea of, of sort of a woke culprit culture, that's part of what the driver is, is that they're listening to what they think are, the loudest voices without yep. understanding it's not reflective yeah. of where the general population is. And, and to some extent, uh, in a very positive way, I do think that I'm seeing somewhat of the lever coming back the other yeah. way, but it's still got a ways to go. Yeah. No. And culturally, that was one of the other things I talked about with Barry when he was in here is you're seeing the Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light thing. You're seeing the target response. You're seeing Jason Aldean song. You're so I'm a culture watcher. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not in the policy and legal space. Like, you know, I'm a culture watcher. I watch what's happening over here and the two are, you know, they are absolutely linked. Um, I'm more in the Breitbart camp of where I believe that the culture drives politics. What happens in the culture is what you then begin to see start to happen in politics, especially uh, in left leaning places. And then media drives culture. And so the left has invested so heavily in media uh, for, they've been investing billions for, you know, generations. Um, so they have the ability uh, to, to, to drive those things. But, um, I do, I do think that the pendulum's beginning to swing. I think we've had enough. I think that, that, you know, especially the transgender issue is just like a bridge too far mm-hmm. for so many people. Um, and then Megan Kelly even said it on her podcast. She's like, you know, look, you know, when it first came out, I didn't understand it. I would call them trans women. I wasn't gonna call them women, but I call them trans women. And I tried to, you know, negotiate with terrorists is basically what it boils down to. And then she's like, I realized I was actually like, I was causing these problems in women's sports by not making my stand with the language that I used uh, and things like that. And I think, you know, exactly what you said, that company thought, well, we'll make this little soft compromise right here and then they'll go away. They never go away. That first little paper cut, it turns into death by a thousand paper cuts. And that first little one is how they know that they have you. Um, and, and you can never be woke enough. You can never be gay enough. You can never be, you know, whatever enough, right. You can never repent of racism enough. You can never, whatever the woke thing is, they're trying to get you to do. You can never be that enough for them to stop. It'll just be a boot on, you know, boot on your neck and it'll continue to stay there. And that's, that's where they want to keep us. So it's, sorry, I get, I get going no, no, on no, this stuff. No, and, I, and, then, I mean, and look, <laughs> let's also, you know, we've had some discussions in here about kind of social media. Yeah. What, 
is being done by many of the large companies to suppress the ability to, to transparently and freely share information that people need to hear. You know, that's, it's all these efforts outside of the political process that the less is, left is ultimately trying to cultivate and capt, capture so that they can be able to push that agenda. And partly, yeah. you know, if you suppress the language on social media, then it appears as if a majority of people believe certain things. Yeah. You know, it's just like, you know, one of the things that I care desperately about is the impact that social media has on our youth mm-hmm. and particularly the mental health side of the house where, you know, every Facebook post that somebody has is a happy story of what's going on with their family, which is not always reflective of how they really are feeling and what they're experiencing or their family issues. Yeah. And and yet, you know, when when that's all you're exposed to, you suddenly think, well, gosh, I'm the one that's wrong. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe what, am I, what am I missing? It doesn't mean that we shouldn't tangibly dive into issues and understand them, but yet when we're allowing other people to dictate our view of those issues, then that becomes problematic. Yeah. Man, um, we've gone way off. Yeah, no, no, this started, is good right? though. And it, and it's, um, but it is. And, and, and the social media and all that stuff, it's just, it's a weird world and it's all, it, it's grown and moved so fast too. And, and we're just now starting to see, you know, the deleterious effects of it. Well, there's a reason you're on like rumble, that. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, this big <laughs> truth. Is. And what he's talking about is that <laughs> YouTube removed my podcast from uh, their platform. They didn't even demonetize me. They just said, we've had enough, but Badge of honor. YouTube kicked me off. The good news is that these other podcasting platforms that I'm not going to name because they might kick me off if I bring attention <laughs> to them, other than Rumble that are still pretty big, we're actually getting huge numbers on more general podcasting apps that have a video function now. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and these other groups are now, I'm you know making headway there. Please, cool. please don't cancel something. So, um, but you know, and and that was a decision we had to make. So. When, when I started 1819, I knew I've worked at groups before where they had their entire house built on rented land in the sense that they built their platform on social media. Uh, and then Facebook said, you know, we, we're going to, you know, we're going to pull this, you know, pull the string basically, uh, and, and say that we don't like alternative news anymore and your algorithm is skewed. And now all of a sudden your traffic goes and you have to fire everybody. I watched it happen in a, in a group I worked with previously. I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And we'll utilize these social media things, but I'm never going to let the threat of cancellation or reduced traffic affect, basically curtail my content. I'm not, I'm going to say what needs to be said. And if they feel the need to kick me off of their platform, so be it. I'm not going to let that, you know, dictate what I say and what I don't say. And whether I bring Dr. Robert Malone and Peter McCullough on and Greg Phillips and people mm-hmm. like that, um, who all played a part in me getting kicked off, but you know, <laughs> Uh, I mean, you may even have played a part in it. I don't know. (laughs) Persona non grata uh, in Silicon Valley. So um, let's let's jump into Space Command and then we'll go into After Hours and and talk about um, crime in Alabama or anything else you want to talk about. Um, So here's Space Command again. And to me, this wraps right back around into the same conversations we've just been having. Um, at the end of the day, Joe Biden doesn't want Space Command to be in Alabama because we're Alabama. Right. And, And he wants to keep it where it is. And so he, they say things like, well, it's because you're a strict abortion law. Well, if we didn't have the strict abortion law, it would have been because we you are know, rednecks. It would have been because like, it, it doesn't matter. And that to me is one of those, another one of those proud moments where it's like, yeah, we would love to have space command. That would be really good for us. You know, um, you know, we could see how it's a perfect fit in Huntsville and all these other things, but we're not going to we're not going to sell our sovereignty. Mm-hmm. We're not going to add all these exceptions to our abortion bills and start murdering babies so that we can get a few jobs in Huntsville, right? They're not exactly short on jobs up there anyway. Right. Right. We're not going to do that. 
and we didn't. And, you know, supposedly, you know, and, and, and again, I, th- I think in the end, I think we're going to get it. I think it's just a matter of time, but it's just, a, it's, it's showing how politicized everything gets. It, it shows how stupid <laughs> the way that I describe things, how stupid everything is. I get realize that's not legal nomenclature of how to describe <laughs> things, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. So from, from the attorney general's perspective, what, what are your thoughts on all that? I mean, let's call a spade a spade. This has nothing to do with Tommy Tuberville's holds. Yeah. I mean, that's, this was a, an effort that's been ongoing for a while. This administration doesn't want Alabama to be the recipient of what two different surveys have acknowledged is the appropriate location for space command. Yeah. Makes perfect sense on so many levels for those that are familiar with Redstone Arsenal the investment up there, frankly, the rich history that we have in the space program in the state, the work that was done to basically allow us to be able to develop the rocket program, which ultimately got us to the point that we could explore space. But you know, the taint of not only politics, but but frankly, corruption. It's one of the reasons why I weighed in. It's not our norm, right, that we were going to sort of weigh into that federal decision. But Part of our mission in our office is to deal with corruption in government. And when you ultimately expose a general who seemingly was the single advocate who went to the president to be able to change his mind, despite the fact you had multiple reviews that, that Alabama was first and Colorado Springs was last of the five, that becomes that person that the president supposedly listens to and then has, uh, million plus purchase of land and a ranch, which happens to be in that location during the tenure in which he's over space command. Come on. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you don't have to be really, really into law enforcement. We call that a clue. Yeah. And the fact that the, you know, sort of the the government watchdog on this, that should be the general accounting agency, the fact that they've now agreed to open an investigation to look at it. I think that's important. And I commend, uh, you know, Congressman Rogers for saying he's willing to put people under oath because that's really what what I want to see. Yeah, is somebody under oath be able to number one respond to the legitimate questions that exist long before we find out about the ranch, but then to be able to say to that general, did you ever disclose that? Did you ever reveal that you had a significant financial investment in Colorado, which would cause you to want to be able to stay there? Yeah. And I think that's a question the public needs to be able to hear. It's mm. interesting. Well, what um, do you do? You think we're going to get it? Do you think what what is your what is Steve Marshall's prediction? Uh, you know, maybe this we talked about delay before. Maybe this is one of the times that delays are our friend. Yeah. Um, in that before substantial investments are made, and you know, the other thing that I think is Alabama's position. Well, you got Robert Adderholt sitting there on appropriations. You got to have money to be able to build this yeah. this effort. Um, you know, the fact that they can use that as the watchdog tool as well, I think is, is very important. And I do know from talking to some of our congressmen that this is something that's vitally important. And so, yeah, I, I feel good about our chances, and particularly in light of the fact that the GAO is now willing to weigh in. Because if they can expose, and I think they can, the fallacy of this decision, then it should raise eyebrows of even – some Democrats in D.C. that can see why this is such a such a poor choice. Yeah, because if it turns into tit for tat, and that's always the thing. Like whenever conservatives have their ability to like for us to like win and do something that's a little eh, in order to win, there's like, well, if we do that, then when the left, it's their turn. They're well, the left is always going to do that. They're always going to do it, and, and we're seeing it. Like 
Um, but but it it does like there are I think center center left people who are going to see like mm, this isn't great like this is obviously a politicized decision that you know and, and they're they're accusing Tommy Tuberville of affecting military readiness and you know and and then you you have these surveys that say this is the best place for this you know mm-hmm. thing and you're saying no we're gonna we're gonna do it over here that's really politicizing and that's really beginning to affect you know, things more than like, uh, he described a, a bunch of, I don't know if he said commie generals, but that was the picture that I got, you know, holding up their promotions right. or whatever. So, all right. Well, I think, uh, any, any last words on our general one before we jump into the after hours? No, it's going fast. Yeah, it did. It I don't know that we by. talked about anything that you had anticipated we would. No, anyway. um, it, uh, but that's the, the beauty of the, is, you know, you get on you get on the radio. You know, you got seven minutes, and you got to hit these three things in those seven yeah. minutes, and it's got to be these can talking points. And and some politicians, I think, love that. Um, they you know they just like to say their talking points, and then be gone, and then the talking points get turned into news articles and blah 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 blah. The beauty of podcasts, is like we can go anywhere, and yeah. we got forty five minutes before you get to leave, right? right. So we can go anywhere. Um, and and I think that's uh, a much more long form, free flowing, and and uh, things kind of get to where they should rather than oh, I wish I would have talked about that. But yeah, and it's one thing, at least in this setting, we get to kind of to to pull the lens out yeah. a little bit because some we get we get focused on those very discrete questions, right? Yeah. And and that's important, but also when you draw it back a little bit you kind of begin to see how they connect the dots. And I think that's important too, because sometimes we have to recognize that, you know, the old story about people that showed up drowned in the river. At some point in time, you got to figure out how to get in the river in the first place. Um, And I think that's a critical question for us when we look at policy is, we get focused on the, the the one thing when we probably need to be stepping back a little bit yeah. and figuring out what are the underlying causes that get us there. Yep. Good stuff. Awesome. Attorney General Steve Marshall, thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, that'll wrap it up for today. Um, as always, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry. <laughs>